Welcome back, everybody, to the Flow Track Podcast. I'm Kevin Sully, joined by Lincoln Shrike. And the topic of today's show is Clemson cutting their men's track and cross country programs. And here to discuss are two folks one, Ryan Fenton, Clemson alum, and our co worker here at Flow, and Russell Dinkins, who's worked with a lot of NCAA programs over the past couple months who have seen programs get dropped. Let's get right into it. Start first. Uh, Ryan, with you, what was your, your first reaction? Did you see this move coming at all? Uh, no, no, I did not. Um, it was it was very sudden. I got a text uh, yesterday. I forget who the first to text me uh, was, but um, it was actually, I think it was Joe Battaglia at Flow uh, said, hey, did you see this? It was a, it was a PDF of the um, the athletic director's you know, letter to the community about the decision to cut men's track and field and cross country. Um, and that was the first that I had seen of it. So very quickly from there, uh, messages started flooding in as I'm sure it did for, you know, a lot of the uh, alumni and, and for, you know, I'm, I assume this is how it, it works for, for all the people that, that deal with this at all programs. Um, you know, the, the word starts spreading, people start messaging, everyone's kind of asking what's going on. Did anyone know about this? When, we, like, where did this come from? Um, and for, for us at Clemson, you know, when, when I was at Clemson, we, we were not number one in the country in football. Uh, you know, we were maybe a top 25 team. Uh, so you, you maybe in those circumstances are, are thinking more at risk in, in, in that situation. But when you're the number one or number two team in the country over the last five or six years, uh, I'd be honest, it's not a concern that I've had watching all these programs start starting to have uh, financial issues. Um, Clemson was not on my list of, of schools to be um, dealing with this, especially being a power five school and, and the best power five school in football right now. Mm -hmm. And we saw the release that the university put out and we're used to reading those now because in this current situation that we're in, it seems about every month or so a program is getting dropped, but you had an opportunity to listen to what the athletic director said last night in a, in a conference call, any new information come from that or is it pretty boilerplate at this point? I, yeah, I think it, it's more what you said there at the end. I think it's a more, more boilerplate than, than anything. I think there's the initial statement, you know, the, the, the zoom meeting that they put together for the media yesterday was all of 18 minutes. The first, you know, four or five minutes was literally a recount of, of the letter that went out publicly um, so there wasn't a lot of new information, um, any, any questions of, uh, it felt like any questions that, that may have had some depth or, or kind of some, you know, just asking of, of some further information on things that were said, uh, you know, that's kind of when it felt like it, the, you know, the, the interview or the Q and a, whatever you wanted to call it was, was kind of you know, that's when, when things kind of came to an end and said, Hey, one or two more questions. And, uh, 18 minutes into the, the zoom call, you know, that was it. That was all the time that was, was afforded to everybody. So. Russell, I want to get the response from, from your end. I know you didn't go to Clemson, but you also didn't go to Brown and you were integral in, in that process and helping organize. And that, that process with Brown that brought back the program was lauded. There was an article in the New York times about how well organized it was but it also mentioned how well connected, how well financially it was connected. Do you see parallels to the Brown case and the Clemson case? And I know it's only been 24 hours or so, but do you see basically a similar roadmap that could be, could 
bring back this program ultimately? <clears throat> yes, I do see uh, similarities uh, in the way that uh, we worked with Brown. Um, I think the closest uh, model that can be used uh, for Clemson could be the model that the University of Minnesota um, used that I helped them with. Now, University of Minnesota, they did not get their entire team back, but they did get uh, their outdoor team reinstated. And uh, some of the same arguments that were used to help them and some of the same strategies that was used to help them, I feel like can be applied to even greater effect um, with Clemson, given the racial makeup of the team um, and given that it's not necessarily a, fin a financial uh, issue in the same way, in my view, as it was a financial issue at the University of Minnesota, even though the financial argument was specious um, to me um, at the University of Minnesota, at least they could, in theory, lean on the fact that the Big Ten canceled uh, football for you know part of the season. And so the school wasn't able to make um, as much money as they were anticipating. Um, it's still... Uh, isn't a really strong argument in my view, but uh, that argument isn't something that Clemson can really lean on. And so I do think that we have uh, a model that we can use um, to help uh, save a Clemson's team. It was really interesting. I got the news uh, that Clemson cut their team literally 30 minutes after I heard that uh, William and Mary reinstated their team and I had helped them reinstate their team. So it was kind of like, yay, and then got a text message. You know, Clemson cut their team, and then yesterday was ridiculous. My phone was blowing up. So um, <laughs> I was like, okay, guys, uh, let me let me figure out let me figure out things. But um, you know, it is um, um, you know really really humbling, and I'm you know very flattered that you know people have been seeking uh, me out uh, for um, helping in this regard. Given that I've you know have uh, found myself uh, helping a few of the programs um, over the past several months. To your eyes, and, and I know these press releases are, are given, the, the, the reasons are given. It's, you know, they're at least now they're being a little bit more upfront and saying it's not all based on COVID. This has been a long time coming. But, you know, cu cutting through maybe some of the jargon, wh what is the reason that, that track and field on the men's side is, is targeted? Is it first and foremost the numbers? Is it first and foremost the fact that it's a non-revenue? Is it all of the above? What, what is it, it, it is why this keeps happening? Um, I think there's a mixture of reasons. Um, all of them amount to kind of the priorities that the university uh, and their elect departments place um, and where they place them. But you have two kind of issues that are kind of um, at play. You have the financial issues um, and you also have the Title IX issues. And so what I mean by that is um, a lot of schools uh, are having difficulty with the fact that female enrollment is increasing and they have to keep their Title IX numbers within a certain ratio. And so um, at a lot of schools, they have you know greater female enrollment. Sometimes they have um, more female students than male students. And so in order to keep the ratios uh, within a certain ratio, for lack of a better term, um, they have to perhaps reduce men's opportunities or add women's opportunities. So instead of adding women's opportunities, a lot of these schools are looking at, okay, how can we reduce male rosters so that we stay within the ratio that we need to stay within? Um, and the easiest sport to do that with, in their eyes, is track and field, because track and field also is a large sport that 
oftentimes doesn't make a great deal of money and sometimes uh, does incur um, a, a, a large cost. My argument is that there are a lot of other sports that are just as expensive as track and field. Um, and, uh, and they are, you know, they lose just as much money um, as track and field. And track and field, you're supporting athletes through, se through three seasons of play. Sorry, forgive me. Um, instead of just one season of play. And so if you break it down, like, for instance, at the University of Minnesota, um, it worked out to uh, being about $6,000 uh, to support each track and field athlete across three seasons of play, whereas their baseball team, which lost just as much money in the 2019-2020 uh, um, school year, um, they end up spending about $130,000 per baseball athlete. And yet track and field was the sport that was cut um, due to fiduciary you know, reasons. And so that is the issue. And then also going back to the Title IX issue, you know, um, you know, track and field athletes count for 2.5 athletes, essentially. Um, and so you have the same athlete, they run cross country, indoor and outdoor track. That's three sports opportunities. So if you cut track and field and cross country, you get 120 or something of that nature um, opportunities off the table. And so that can really help with the female ratio. Um, so. There are a lot of issues at play here, um, and it's just an easy way for an athletic department to kind of kill two birds with one stone. But what they're not looking at is the deeper implications, or the deeper implications rather, of their decision. And so, you know, there are racial implications, there are socioeconomic implications, and there are also opportunities that are being denied um, from, you know, from athletes. And ultimately, what they're doing is they're pitting female athlete opportunities against male athlete opportunities, which is wrong. The whole nature of Title IX is to provide more opportunity for um, for uh, students, for a demographic that historically hasn't had that opportunity. And what they're doing is they're using that um, in a really kind of pernicious way, in my view, uh, to withhold opportunity from another demographic, which I think is just very wrong. Ryan, I know in that conference call you asked the athletic director about a fundraising option because that's been the the common response here, be it UConn, be it William & Mary or all these other programs. And he responded that the operating costs were about $2 million, but then he said you put it in an endowment calculator and it's more like $60 million. Do you have any clarity on those figures, how all that works? Are they just calculating the cost of the program or is it more in – we need to not just fundraise for this program, but then we need to offset because then we need to fund uh, for another women's program. Like where are those numbers actually coming from? It, that's, it's not super clear. I mean, and, and, and I think you, you heard the answer that was given and, and you kind of recapped it there. That was, that was essentially what was said. Um, there, there wasn't a lot of, of depth offered in, you know, and, and what was what was given there and, and how they got to that 60 million number and, and what that actually means. So I, you know, I, I, I think that it still raises a lot of questions on what does 60 million mean? And if and if 60 million is actually the number, you know, I think one of the things that that rubs alumni the wrong way is just how defiant the athletic director tried to be in his letter saying this decision is final. And you know, I I think Russell's probably dealt with this. I mean, I think everyone's kind of said this is a final decision, 
and we've seen, you know, and this was part of my question I asked to the athletic director yesterday, you know, why, why do you feel like your decision is so final when we've seen this actually go the other way on a number of other programs? And that's where it just doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense at the, you know, and, and, and personally, it's a little offensive to, <laughs> to, for someone to come out and just be like, Hey, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. Because if it's really a money thing and you're saying it's 60 million, hypothetically, if someone said, Hey, well, I, you know, I have 60 million, I'm a track and field donor. I'm a, I'm a billionaire. And you know what? I want to save this program. Again, do I think that's going to happen? No, I'm not saying that, but hypothetically, you're telling us that your decision's final. You're not going to, um, you're not going to extend that relationship and, and actually save that program. If someone comes up with that money, I, I, I find that hard to believe, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Russell, so, you and again, it's that- not about the money thing. It's about, it's about just the fact that that's the messaging you're trying to, to put out there. Yeah. Uh, Russell, are you seeing that with the other schools that you've been working with where they take a firm position and then not only do you need to convince them that their position is incorrect, but you need to convince them to go back on their, their press release that they just put out a month or, or a week ago. Oh yeah. All of them said that, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and some different version of this is a final decision. There's no way that it could be reversed and they've been reversed. So, um, you know, you just don't take no for an answer. Um, <laughs> essentially. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, Brown released a bunch of statements um, before they eventually folded. Um, same with uh, Women Mary. Um, Women Mary actually, their situation was interesting because they cut a number of sports. They actually reinstated all of them, and so all of the sports were really, really pressing, and um, eventually got them to overturn all the decisions, which was really great. Um, and uh, with the University of Minnesota, um, what they did was really kind of sly, in my view. Um, I wrote an article that got published in Star Tribune that explicitly called them out for effectively being functionally racist and what they were doing. Um, By cutting track and field and gymnastics, they were cutting 85% of their non-revenue producing black athletes, um, well, black male athletes rather. And uh, while only cutting about 45 or something percent of their non-revenue producing white athletes or non-black athletes. so essentially the only black athletes that would be left on that campus were the ones who were making money for them, i.e. football and basketball, black male athletes um, rather. And so I found that to be extremely problematic, especially given that uh, the money that was gonna be generated from football and basketball um, often are used to support non-revenue sports that are oftentimes pretty white and pretty affluent. Um, so you know, baseball, for instance, I mentioned it, um, baseball, uh, isn't a sport that typically has a lot of students who are from lower income or first generation backgrounds. Uh, and most sports actually in college cater to more affluent uh, communities. Uh, and so what you, in, a, in effect, what you have is the football and basketball programs subsidizing, <laughs> um, you know, these opportunities, these sporting opportunities that result in admission spots um, for, you know, middle class or upper middle class um, you know, white families who are using their you know, sports as a way of getting entry into the university. And so I felt that to be extremely problematic. I wrote an article about it. I watched the Board of Regents decision um, or meeting that happened two days later, and they mentioned a lot of the arguments that I presented in the article. So it's clear that the article um, made some traction and they realized that they couldn't fully cut track and field because it would just look too 
terrible. So what they did was a half measure and saved outdoor track. The issue, the reason why it was so ridiculous, the new proposal was presented by the AD to the Board of Regents at 9 a.m. that morning. So they received a new proposal in their email that saved mm -hmm. outdoor track with no prior information about that new proposal. And the Board of Regents voted to approve that new proposal at 2 p.m. later that day. I don't know much about boards, but that seems like a really weird thing to receive <laughs> a radically changed proposal and to vote on it uh, at nine um, and vote on it, you know, about five hours later uh, when you received in your email with no explanation as to how the outdoor team was going to be able to be added back in if Title IX and the money was such a big issue. Also, um, you know, in terms of proper governance, you know, that doesn't seem like something that a board should do should vote on a radically changed proposal without proper time to assess and i watched the meeting they even voted on giving themselves extra time to assess the new proposal and they voted it down they just wanted to push it through so it seemed like it was a face saving measure so that the university could um basically kind of skirt around some of the really problematic um you know implications of their decision um and so and for a lot of people um, you know, they don't know that track and field and college can't function without indoor track. If you just have an outdoor track team, um, you're effectively, and there's nothing wrong with it, but you're effectively going to just have a, um, a distance team. Um, you're not going to have throwers, sprinters, jumpers, and in Minnesota, it's cold until June. So no one is going to be going there, um, you know, to participate in just outdoor track when they might have two outdoor meets at home. Um, and so it, it it really weakens the program to the point of, you know, uh, possibly being cut in the future. And so there's still a fight there that needs to uh, continue. But um, at least we were able to get the university on record and the, the meeting is on YouTube um, of them stating that, OK, track and field represents a diversity opportunity um, because it is the cheapest sport in high school. And it is a sport that literally is one of the most diverse sports in college and particularly with black participation, black athletes are really only in three sports at a high degree in college, football, basketball, and track. And so if you cut track, you're literally cutting out most of the black athletes who are within an athletic program. It's just like, it's just, it's just what it is. People might be uncomfortable by that, but it's the facts. And so, um, and when you take the aggregate numbers, I, I averaged eight years of NCAA data um, for black male participation, um, about 13,000 um, black athletes play football, about 3,000 black athletes, 3,100 black athletes play um, basketball and about 2,900 run track. So, and then after that, it's 500. Um, so I think after that, um, soccer is number four and it's like 560, um, eight year average um, for a D1 participation. So it literally falls off a cliff. And then there's a, like three sports there in the 500s and then it goes down to like the 100s. Um, like soccer, uh, not soccer, uh, hockey, um, uh, hockey, lacrosse, these sports are in the double digits, like, you know, mm -hmm. like 70, you know, so it's, re so it's very low in all these other sports. And so when you're cutting track and field, um, you're literally cutting out a, a really big diversity opportunity <laughs> in terms of what's offered. Uh, with uh, with uh, for a university's athletic department, and, and I just I want to add one thing to that because, you know, I think there's there could be a thought out there of 
you know, we, it's not, you know, there's an opportunity at that university that's lost, but these kids can go somewhere else, right? They still have an opportunity to compete. But we also have to remember that when a program gets cut and men's track and field has 12.6 scholarships, those scholarships are gone forever. Those aren't going to other sports at the school. They're not going to other track and field universities where, oh, you can get that opportunity at another school. That opportunity is literally gone. That money does not exist anymore. And so I know at Clemson, nearly 100% of the scholarship go to the African-American uh, athletes on that team, right? So th those scholarships are no longer available anywhere. Yeah, that's a good thought. I didn't. So you're saying, you know, obviously when you go, if you went to transfer to another program, well, most programs are probably full on scholarships. So even if you're a really talented athlete, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to be able to secure a scholarship, particularly now. Yeah. Or, or if you do, then you're bumping that, then you're bumping somebody yeah. else, right? Yeah. Like it's, I mean, someone's going to get affected. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the number the number is finite, right? There are a certain number of D one programs that sponsor track and field via scholarships, whether they're fully supported or or partially supported. And so when you take away a D one program, um, you know those are twelve point six fewer opportunities, and this is compounding, right? So we um, have you know this program and then other programs that have been cut, and so uh, these finite resources in terms of spots are not being replaced. Um, so it's really easy to say, okay, yeah, um, this, uh, some kid can go somewhere else, but in actuality, no, that kid may not actually be able to go to some somewhere else. And it's not just that kid. It's that kid right now. And the kid that comes after that kid and the kid that comes after that kid. Right. And so, um, and then we also have to keep in mind that, um, sometimes, um, you know, some really talented athletes, uh, aren't necessarily on the national radar, but they may be on the radar of a coach at Clemson or a coach at the University of Minnesota or a coach, um, you know, William and Mary, um, you know, around the uh, Williamsburg area. And so, and, you know, that kid may not actually think about, um, you know, that kid may not go to invitationals or go to, you know, large meets like New Balance or, or what have you. Um, and so, if they're not recruited by, um, you know, that score or that, or that opportunity no, that no longer exists, um, you know, they may not ever have the opportunity um, to go to college in that way. I'm not saying that sports the only way kids can go to college, no, but it does provide a, a pathway. And so my view is that these pathways should not be taken away, um, especially when they are so, especially when they benefit a demographic that is not able to access the other sporting opportunities because let's be frank like you know a poor kid from a rural area or from an inner city is not playing um a you know an affluent sport yeah you might have one or two but in you know an aggregate that doesn't happen but you know a poor kid from wherever um could you know can run really fast or jump really far and we know how people get recruited in track you know it just gets uploaded um you know and, and the coach can see it you don't have to go to a expensive sports camp these other sports, you have to go to a sports camp, you have to go to a tournament, you have to be a part of a travel team, um, all that costs money. So there's literally a financial barrier to entry that um, you know doesn't exist in a large part for track and field, which is one of the beautiful things about our sport. It is egalitarian in that way. And so we need to really communicate that value um, and really hold these universities feet to the fire because they all have statements about how they value uh, diversity, how they value 
educational access and all that stuff. It really just seems like it's just horse wash, you know, if they're not willing to back up those stated values with action. Ryan, we've seen a strong response from alums of all different schools as this has happened. And now you've, for the last day, had this experience of seeing a program you used to run for uh, be, on the, be on the chopping block here. Can you speak to just what it feels like? Like, what does it make you think of and what emotions do you feel when a program that you ran at for four years is on the verge of not existing anymore? It, it makes me feel, yeah, I don't know if you know that Chris Farley skit when he gets the coffee and he, it's, he's lied to and he, this whole scene and they say, how do you feel? And he just says angry, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you guys are all familiar. Anyway, that's, that's how, that's, that's the first word that comes to mind. But, you know, I think it's, um, you, you are angry. You're, you're frustrated. You're confused. You don't feel like you're getting, uh, a straightforward answer. You know, I, th I think that's, that's a lot of the discussion in text threads and Facebook message groups and all these things that are going on is, you know, there's so many thoughts and questions and it just points to the fact that no one really feels that they're giving, uh, being given the clear understanding of, of why the decisions are, have been made. And so, um, I, I think that's, that's the toughest part of it. And, you know, I think in terms of just the response from, from the folks that we've talked to, you know, I think everyone feels that. And, um, the, I guess if you look so on one side, there's this frustration, but on the other side, uh, it, it unfortunate an unfortunate circumstance creates actually some positivity. And it, you know, it's in a lot of ways brought a lot of people together that haven't connected in years. And um, to see not just friendships uh, get reconnected, but the passion that you, you all had when you were at the university together, fighting for a conference championship now kind of reignite in a different way. Um, it, it, it is, it's uplifting. It, you know, we had a zoom call with nearly 50 people, uh, last night of past alum, both men and women, uh, past coaches from the program who now, some of which coach at other programs and then current, uh, current athletes there. And it, it was, uh, again, frustration, but uplifting. There was points, uh, where it was emotional. We had our, our coach when, um, you know, the late Bob Pollock, who was there when I was there and won so many titles, ACC titles while at Clemson, his family was on the call. So it just brought so many people together. And so in this, in this kind of cloud of, of, of frustration and confusion, um, you, you also felt at home and you felt a lot of positivity, uh, and just people coming together for the, for a common cause. Right. And so that I think was good for us. And I know the communication we got from the current student athletes that are on campus, who are ultimately the ones that are dealing with this the hardest because they're there day to day um, and have to face the AD and all these folks. It was, you know, their, their communication to us was, you know, we were really down and thought this was it, there was nothing we can do. And just being here tonight and meeting all of you uh, just gives us so much hope and, and feels like we have so much support out there. So that was, that was really cool to see as well. And, and Russell, I know you've been communicating with some of those current athletes at Clemson. What have you discussed? Is there any plan set in motion and what are the athletes feeling right now? Yeah, so um, I cannot speak uh, to, you know, exactly how the athletes are feeling um, because, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, put my, you know, 
I can't speak for them and their experience. Um, I imagine they're experiencing a range of emotions from anger to grief to um, to uh, to to rage uh, to passion, uh, you know, to, uh, to 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 a wide range of emotions. Um, I have been in contact with them. I've been in contact with two students in particular. Um, you know, they were asking for direction, and I basically suggested that, hey, get on a Zoom. I'll help you set it up. So. Um, it's great, you know, uh, these com the communities are helping each other. Um, one of the William & Mary alumni uh, who I've been working with, uh, um, uh, she works at Zoom, so she gave us a, a Zoom room and I gave him the information so that he can set up the Zoom for, um, you know, for last night. And I said, hey, get everyone on a Zoom and it's not gonna be very, it may not be very productive, but you need everyone together to vent and to kind of connect. And that's like the first step. And like, once you do that, um, develop a core five and then get back to me and then we'll move forward. So we're still in the beginning stages. I can't let, you know, too much out the bag because I don't want, you know, someone from the university to kind of catch on to what we're doing because we're going to come with the fire. <laughs> but um, we are, um, but, you know, but we're, um, we're, we're planning. And, um, and so that, so that's really, really good. Uh, and unfortunately I have seen this uh, kind of play out a few times. So now, I do have a, a little bit of a roadmap that we developed. Um, and so we have a toolkit. Um, so I'm gonna be giving that to the core organizers. Um, it's a video and then also um, some materials on how to just develop um, strategy and then also how to organize themselves. So um, I'm working with them on that. But um, one thing that I do wanna say, um, and, I, I, and I want everyone, you know, if they don't listen to anything else, um, I want all the track community to listen to this. Um, you know, I did not go to Brown University. I didn't go to any of these universities. I went to Princeton. Um, but the reason why it was so important for me to get involved with Brown and then subsequently these other schools is because I, especially with Brown, I saw that this was going to be a trend if we don't stop it. And it seems as though a lot of times people, you know, are just upset, but they feel like they, there's nothing that they can do. And a lot of times with these university fights, you know, the, it's the alumni um, and the students who are associated with that university fighting. And, you know, they ultimately have, you know, one or in part have one. But, you know, with Clemson going down, I want this to be very clear. No one's program is safe. And so if you think your program is safe, you are wrong. We need to save Clemson because if this goes down and it doesn't reverse, it's going to set off a tidal wave. And I'm not being alarmist, I'm just telling you how it is. And so when we are um, you know, putting out ways for other people to get involved, please get involved because you, by helping save Clemson, will be helping to save your program. A program that you care about, whether you're a student there, whether you're a parent, whether you are uh, an alumni, um, you know, an alumnus or an alumnae, you need to be involved in this fight because if a major power five school goes down, you know, that's going to set the groundwork for these things to tumble. And if people think that, oh, well, the men's teams are getting cut, the women's teams are safe. That's also not true because at the University of Minnesota, um, we have it on record that the AD and the AAD, um, their plan is to try to get down to the NCAA minimum um, of teams that they can support. So when they cut the men's team, that was going to cut too many men's opportunities. So then they were going to have to cut women's opportunities. And which women's opportunity were they going to cut? They were going to cut from the women's cross-country roster. Um, so women's opportunities are in jeopardy as well 
when track and field goes down because if they cut track, they're going to overshoot their number and then they're going to have to cut women's opportunity to, to rebalance it. So this is a problem and it's coming and it's going to affect a lot more schools than people realize. So we need to come together and make sure that this doesn't happen and send a really strong, clear message that this cannot stand. Russell, how did you become the guy for this? As you mentioned, you didn't go to any of these schools. How did how did you become the, the go-to person here? Because I'll admit, when that first announcement of, I don't even remember which program was the first one, you know, and they used COVID as the pretext to cut it, I thought, man, it's one of the hardest things in the world to do to convince a university bureaucracy to change their mind, and yet you've been successful. So how did you, how did you find your way into this role? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think it's just a kind of a, you know, providence plus, uh, you know, being in the right place at the right time plus passion. Um, so I heard about what's happening with Brown University. That was the first one. And Brown University announced that they were cutting their track and field program. And they announced that it wasn't a financial decision. It was a decision for Title IX reasons and um, to increase competitiveness across their sporting offerings. Mm -hmm. But then they also noted that they did it to increase diversity across their varsity and club team offerings. Because what they were doing is reducing or they were moving track and field down from varsity status to club status. So by doing that, you will inherently make the club team offerings more diverse. But, you know, people who don't know about college athletics don't know that club and varsity are not the same. Club does not get you know, institutional funding in the same way. They are not supported by the athletic department and they do not get recruiting spots. Um, and they were elevating sailing in its place. And so that happened. And then two days later, the George Floyd uh, murder occurred. Um, and, you know, everyone and everywhere was releasing their statements. And, the Uni and Brown University released a statement saying that they were committed to looking at their institutional practices and um, committed to racial, um, you know, equality and looking at how they have contributed to, you know, all this other stuff. And I was like, that is flying in the face of what they're actually doing. They literally just cut one of their most diverse teams and a team with the second most black um, athlete participation and are going to replace it with sailing, a team that has no diversity. You know, so it's just like, I, mm -hmm. I was like, this is out, out of control. So I contacted the Brown University um, alumni who were organizing everything and said, hey, we need to get this story out. This needs to be a story that needs to be communicated out um, to people. Um, and they said, yeah, yeah, you know, we're working on some op-eds and things like that. And I said, okay, cool. Um, but then I decided to take it upon myself and write something to Medium. So I spent all day, um, you know, did some research, got some numbers together. Um, I went to a school where that's all we had to do. So, you know, kind of used to doing that, you know, and I did some research and, uh, um, you know, put some things together and I posted to Medium. I am not a well-known person. Well, at least I wasn't then. Um, don't really have a big platform. So I didn't expect the article to be the catalyst for change. I wrote the article to get the ideas down. And my thought was, okay, after I write the article, maybe we can show publications, hey, this is a story that you should cover. Um, Went to sleep, woke up the next morning, and I had thousands of views, and it just kept snowballing and snowballing, um, and it really, it really caught on and kind of went viral, which was um, was pretty um, was pretty cool. And um, within a week of me posting my article, they reversed the decision, and so it wasn't solely you know the article, but the article helped to bring a lot of attention 
um, to the issue. Uh, and that matched with the organized efforts from Brown, um, their internal pressure, then also uh, some of their uh, donor outreach. Uh, those things combined, I believe, helped to uh, bring um, the, the decision um, to the fore. And then also, you know, universities, especially at that time, they don't want to get embarrassed and they do not want to answer tough questions. And if you're asking, hey, why are you cutting a team that has 11 black guys on it and replacing it with a team that has no black guys on it? And the team that you cut has more black athletes than your crew, soccer, um, lacrosse, and baseball teams combined. Um, it, it's hard to defend that because it's indefensible. And so that is how I kind of got involved in that. So to answer your question, I kind of just organically fell into it. Um, mm -hmm. And then when uh, University of Minnesota went down and William and Mary, um, you know, I was reluctant to get involved, to be honest, because I was like, I don't know how I can help save these other schools when they have financial issues. It's not the same argument, but um, I decided to just jump in, I go forward. And uh, um, I had the Brown organizers meet with the University of Minnesota and William & Mary organizers, and we worked on um, strategy together. And I've been checking in with both schools uh, along the along the way um, and um, kind of, the rest is uh the rest is kind of uh, unfolded like that yeah <laughs> ryan going back to what russell said previously he talked about how this could set off a tidal wave if clemson's decision stands do you get a sense of that amongst the fellow alums on the program of just the stakes in this decision and how it's not just about clemson but what it says about all of track and cross at the uh ncaa d1 level yeah, I, I'm actually in the in our Zoom meeting. I I, I said ex almost exactly what Russell said. I said, you know what, guys, we are all here are, are passionate about Clemson and, and the track and field program, and and we have a responsibility to do what we can to see if we can turn this thing around. But we also have a responsibility for all the other programs out here because it is a huge statement if the number one football school in the country right now and the first Power Five school out there to cut a full men's track and cross country program is doing it it's if it's if it's easy for clemson to do it it's going to be a lot easier for a lot of other schools to do it um and so it it is a really really um yeah it, it's it's a really meaningful situation that hopefully we can have some influence in um again that the, this is 24 hours fresh and and who knows what that road will look like but um, there's more at stake here, and I think there's a lot more at play than a lot of people realize. A lot of us on this podcast realize. Um, you know, I it, just in you know, and Russell, I'm sure you've you've seen this in in dealing with these other universities. Just all the discussions that arise when something like this happens, and the what ifs, and all, the, uh, and, and what could be. You know, the from the talk and the rumors of hey, after this year you know, university presidents and uh, people that are high up making decisions, they, they may really look to reduce those minimum numbers of, of programs, right? We're at 16 right now. After COVID, it's a really, really easy platform to really push for, hey, we're being held to this six, number of 16 or whatever it is. Financially, that's, that's irresponsible given all the hits our university has taken. We need to reduce that even more. And if those kind of things and conversations happen, 
then then this is even a, a, a kind of a bigger you know uh, unleash of water or, uh, flooding of the gates or whatever you want to say um and track and field is going to be one of those programs that go my, my thought is the only convenient thing about how these programs have been going is there's kind of been a, a it's been a steady build here it's it's like one program a month almost maybe it hasn't been quite that consistent but what happens i guess my questions to russell what happens when this that the levy breaks and we're seeing three programs a week and and you know russell you yourself and other people don't have the resources there's just too many to 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 get a coalition of people together i mean is there bigger things that the track community can do to prevent this from happening? I mean, do we need to say, hey, maybe we should stop asking for so many spots on a track team? Is do we do, Does the NCAA need to cut indoor track to save at least outdoor track? Like wh what is a possible solution to where when these start getting cut in, in mass that, that, I don't know, the whole sport isn't eliminated, like you said. That's a large question. Um, you know, yeah. I don't have the I don't have the full answer to that. If I did, you know, I think I uh, think I would have a lot of a lot more people coming to me with uh, you know with uh, looking for the answers. Um, what I will say is that we should really work to try to prevent that as much as possible. Um, you know, three sports, uh, three programs per week is kind of a Armageddon kind of situation, and we need yeah. to avoid that as much as possible. Um, you know, uh, when University of Minnesota went down, you know, that was really the opportunity where we should have all rallied. Um, we didn't uh, in the way that we should have. Clemson is now like, okay, this is the last, <laughs> this is the last wake up call, guys. If we don't do it now, it's going to get to that point and we're going to get overwhelmed. And so we need um, to do it now. We need to make sure that this program doesn't go down and that the arguments for why this program needs to be saved are really really clearly communicated out to the public in a way that um in a way that makes it really clear now the good thing um is that now that um you know uh, the election season uh is over uh there may actually be a bit more of an appetite for these uh publications to cover the story i'll just be honest uh, when i was trying to get my op-ed um that i published in star tribune i shopped it to a bunch of different outlets and essentially um you know, they wanted to cover um, all of the current events that were happening, which understandably so. Um, but now there might be more space uh, for uh, this kind of conversation, which I feel like is really needed. So um, yeah, we need to make sure that this is a story that is out there, that is clearly communicated, and so that it is really clear, not only to an AD who is really keyed in, but to all ADs that this don't touch track and field. Um, we need to advocate for ourselves in a way of, from a position of strength, not a position of, uh, I don't want to say weakness, but we, we, we have the right arguments. We know what this sport does. We know that it is a sport that offers um, great opportunities to students, uh, no matter their background. It's one of the, frankly, it's probably the sport that offers the, uh, the most efficient and effective uh, opportunity for a higher education for female athletes. I mean, what other sport provides 80 or so opportunities for female athletes, um, you know, in the way that track and field does? Um, there's there's no other sport that's as large, um, you know, on, on the women's side. And so you have the sport that is really egalitarian, that is really diverse, 
that's really accessible from a social economic standpoint and we're letting it kind of go to the wayside and we can't do that we have to ensure that the sport um stays um you know uh, th that the sport maintains its maintains a strong position um and so that's going to require a lot of collaboration between coaches you know maybe um you know the coaches association um you know it's going to require athletes one of the best things for william and mary their women's team actually released a statement that they were boycotting or they were um they were uh <coughs> striking rather um and so you know and it wasn't the whole team but i think it was about two-thirds of the team or something of that nature they said we're not playing and we're not competing until our men's team is brought back um and so it's going to require things like that things that are frankly you know uncomfortable for people to do but we have to make a strong position because here's the thing i looked at the university of minnesota's numbers you know a lot of schools are probably similar why is it that for fiduciary reasons track and field cross country and indoor track gets combined into one but for title nine reasons they separate it into three different opportunities and then for sports counting numbers they count it as six different sports but they only pay one coach you know to coach those uh, six different sports but it's 120 opportunities i mean track and field coaches are getting paid the same amount of money as a baseball coach or a basketball coach or what have you those are one season sports track and field at coaches have to coach three different sports sometimes they're getting less money than some of these other well of course they're getting less money than basketball coaches at big schools but even at um, mid-majors and smaller schools um track and field coaches aren't paid um in a way that's commiserate with the amount of work they're putting out um and so it's okay if it's three different sports then we should have three different sporting staffs we should have you know uh we should have the amount of coaches that map on to three different sports why do we only have what is it um i think it's six uh, six coaches like three paid and three volunteer per gender like you know, for 120 um, sporting opportunities, that doesn't make any sense. And so um, we need to strongly advocate for our position is, okay, if you're going to say that we're one sport, um, then you need to um, then just say the athletes count just uh, just one time. If you can't do that, if the athletes need to count 2.5 times, then we need 2.5 times the resources, you know, and and those arguments, again, are uncomfortable, but I feel like track and field, um, we have for too long acted as if, um, you know, we are afraid to really stand firmly and advocate um, from a position of, you know, uh, of strength and position of just being really uh, secure in what we want. And we need to start doing that. We need to start advocating. But the first, before we get to the coaches, and before we get to kind of numbers with NCAA, we need to make sure that we save Clemson. And then there needs to be a larger conversation in terms of what needs to be done um, in order to save the sport moving forward. And I think that's going to require, uh, you know, a really hard look at how women's track is used to counter football. Um, that probably is going to need to be discussed in a big way, because if we can really figure out a way that um, these athletes are counted fewer times, you know, maybe you combine indoor track and outdoor track and make that one track season, um, you know, get rid of the NCAA indoor championship. And, you know, I love the indoor, the indoor championship. I, I ran at the indoor championship. That it was a lot of fun, but you know, if they got to get rid of it, they got to get rid of it, you know? Um, and so, uh, that might need to be something that needs to be seriously considered. Um, I also think that track coaches need to seriously, um, think about how they can do um, 
quad meets and tri meets. And, you know, I know a lot of post-collegiate athletes will get upset about this, but, you know, the invitationals, I don't think really help the sport, you know, in the college level in, in a strong way. And so if you're able to do um, quad meets and, and tri meets, um, that can bring some value, a cultural value, because a lot of the non-revenues, they're not making money, but people are still coming to the games. Um, they're still coming to the baseball games. They're still coming, there's a community connection. And we don't necessarily have those community connections all the time at the big invitationals. Um, and so that's another thing that I would suggest that the coaches really think about. So um, yeah, I mean, there's a few different strategy points um, in terms of the larger organizational front, but uh, in terms of what needs to be done in the immediate term, we just need to save Clemson and then we can figure out you know, um, step B and C and D afterwards. Well, I, I appreciate your, your response to a very broad, admittedly a very broad question. Um, and uh, I think, you know, your input is valuable because no one has looked as hard at this, this issue probably as you have. Uh, before we go, Ryan, any last minute things on your mind, just seeing your program at stake? No, I mean, I think one of the things that Russell said that stood out is just that, you know, there's going to be a need to be collaboration. And I think just in the, the last 24 hours of this happening, that that's what is happening. And, and it's been, um, it's been, I guess, comforting maybe is a, a word to, to see all the outreach. I mean, for just, it, just me as one person, the amount of people that, that reached out to me from, people at the coaches association to uh, at the NCAA from the shoe companies from uh, you know, other, other, you know, other, other schools that have, have gone through this uh, alumni, obviously, and, and all these folks that are one offering, you know, offering just a simple, sorry that you're going through this to others that are saying, Hey, if you need help, let me know. And then others saying, here's our here's some things that we saw with these other programs that went through it right and um a, a number of people actually referred us to to russell i think multiple people that that we've all spoke with kind of pointed us to russell um and so that's a, another great resource i think any at this point you know this is my my thought is any any insight and any you know knowledge we can gain from the folks that have gone through this already the better we are it it, it definitely um i definitely couldn't imagine feeling what it would have been like to be a Brown and being the first to deal with it this year. And so just with all the outreach, it's felt, uh, it felt like, all right, there, there might be some kind of path to help guide, uh, because when you have hundreds of alumni that all of a sudden get hit with this, there's a lot of questions. And so there's at least, um, some roadmap that, that some folks have taken, which is, is super helpful. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's uh, that's really it. So I think now the 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 plan is to get organized and uh, and figure out the next steps. So yeah, and to that front, I I noticed a, a petition on change.org has been started. There's been about eighteen thousand signatures uh, on that. I know some people are donating money as well. Hopefully, these type of things can lead the the AD to reconsider his his statement about it. The decision being final. Um, but with that, we'll leave it there uh, for my co-host, Kevin, Russell, and Ryan. Thanks for being here, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.